You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some breaking news. A Maple Ridge child and youth care worker facing numerous disturbing charges tonight. They include child pornography and sexual assault. Jay Durant is live in our newsroom with more on these disturbing allegations. Jay. Sophie, the Ridge Meadows RCMP Serious Crime Unit is investigating 52-year-old Maple Ridge resident Daniel John Olson on allegations dated between 2008 and 2019. The charges include one count of possessing child pornography, one count of publishing child pornography, eight counts of sexual interference, and two counts of sexual assault with a weapon. Olson appeared in provincial court on March 8th. He's been released on conditions with a court date set for April 2nd. Now, the Maple Ridge Pitt Meadows School District has sent out a notice to parents saying Olson has worked in a number of their elementary and secondary schools over the course of his employment. If parents or guardians have any information, they should contact Ridge Meadows RCMP directly. Sophie, Chris. Jay Durant reporting in the newsroom tonight. Jay, thank you. A Maple Ridge taxi driver attacked in a road rage incident a year ago says he has seen little justice. While RCMP have a suspect, without any charges laid, the badly beaten cabbie says his bills are piling up. Aaron MacArthur reports, and a warning, some of the images may be hard to look at. Oh, the, uh, I lost five teeth. Even a year later, the injuries are painful to look at. Mandeep Singh Sandhu faces tens of thousands of dollars worth of dental work and is still suffering from nerve damage after being brutally assaulted in an incident of road rage. He smashed me on my face, like uh, on here, on um, here, on my eye here, and uh, on my teeth here. Singh Sandhu was returning to Maple Ridge after dropping a fare in Langley. He came across a white pickup driving erratically and honked his horn. The driver of that pickup lurched across three lanes of traffic, boxed the cab in, and grabbed a tire iron. There wasn't time to react. The suspect broke the cab's window and beat the cabbie unconscious. Uh, he left me dead there. The aftermath of the incident saw an overwhelming amount of support. Fellow drivers, the company, and promises that ICBC and WorkSafe BC would cover the injuries. None of that happened. If you're driving for work, you're on the job. According to WorkSafe, no claim was ever filed. Cab drivers are rarely entitled to coverage. And the only money from ICBC was to fix the broken window. We reached out to ICBC. The Crown Corporation says its hands are tied. It only pays out for physical injuries in the event of a car accident. And according to Section 90 of the Insurance Act, that doesn't include physical violence associated with road rage. If they're able to cover the glass, if they feel like it's, a, it's because of the incident, why not me? The Ridge Meadows RCMP have a suspect. He was identified early on in the investigation. So far, charges have yet to be laid. It's a big impact on my life, my family's life. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP need your help identifying a trio of male theft suspects. Surveillance video shows three masked and gloved suspects breaking into a panel of mailboxes at a complex on West First Street in the early morning hours of February 17th. RCMP say the trio later took off in a silver SUV. And if you look at the video, you can see the uh, the clothing descriptions are very clear. You can you can see the unique uh, type of pants that they're wearing, the shoes, the very athletic clothing. 
And this isn't the first time we've seen this description. It hasn't always been three, but we have seen very similar clothing descriptions in other incidents. So if you know of somebody who might be responsible for this, contact us. RCMP warned mail theft is one way fraudsters gather what they need for identity theft. They advise you to collect your mail every day, or if you go on holidays, put a temporary hold on delivery. The fallout keeps coming over that U.S. college bribery scandal. Hallmark has now cut ties with actress Lori Loughlin, a blow to the Vancouver film industry where her programs are based. Catherine Urquhart has more on the latest repercussions, including the first lawsuit targeting the elite universities and individuals charged. We're a family and that's what we do for each other, no matter what the challenge. Actress Lori Loughlin's alleged involvement in a massive university cheating scandal is about to impact many in Vancouver. Hallmark has fired the actress and stopped all productions involving her, including Vancouver film shows When Calls the Heart and Garage Sale Mysteries. Hundreds are expected to lose jobs. I'm not looking for mysteries, they come to me. The FBI probe has also led to a class action civil lawsuit against eight universities, with more lawsuits expected. It seems to me that there's potential out there for a wide-ranging civil action by a collection of not maybe these schools even against these individuals. Vancouver's David Sidhu, charged with mail and wire fraud, has now stepped aside as president and CEO of two companies, East West Petroleum and Advantage Lithium. The night is beginning now. He's accused of paying $200,000 for a Florida man to take SAT exams for his two sons, in addition to a provincial exam. Um, I'm really proud. I'm proud of the group. David Sidhu remains free on $1 million bond. He's due to appear before a federal court judge Friday afternoon in Boston. His lawyer hoping to gain unrestricted travel for Sidhu so the 59-year-old can return to Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The downturn in B.C.'s housing market is also threatening to drag down the economy. Jordan Armstrong has more on what's being called a significant drop-off and what experts say will help us avoid an overall recession. The housing market slump holding hostage B.C.'s economic growth. Central One Credit Union predicts the drops in demand and prices are the ingredients for the biggest decline in broader household investment in a decade. That includes everything from housing, starter housing, new home construction, uh, renovation activity, acquisition costs. And when we combine all of those, we're going to see a, bit of, uh, a significant slump in uh, 2019. Central One forecasts 2.1% growth this year and 2.4% next year, a continued slowdown after a robust climb of 3.8% in 2017. You watching so, your household spending a bit closer? Absolutely. No question about it. Are we watching what we're spending? Yes, I think so. Uh, a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, I still get my daily Starbucks. That's never going to stop. Economists call it a policy-induced downturn brought on by the mortgage stress test, the foreign buyer's tax, and the B.C. government's speculation tax. Well, that has been a, a key driver of that slow uh, demand in the housing market. A statement from the finance minister reads, quote, moderation in the housing market is a positive sign for the people who want to put down roots and own a home in the community 
where they live and work. B.C. is in a strong position. Our budget is balanced and prudent. Housing market aside, Central One says economic conditions remain firm with population growth and low unemployment. And that really just means that a lot of employers are having a hard time finding finding workers. So they are uh, going to be bidding up wages that we see around a 3 to 3.5% three increase in wage growth on a year-over-year basis going forward. Mega projects like the $40 billion LNG plan in northern B.C. and the new Patello Bridge will also help. If they stay on schedule, B.C. could avoid that R-word, recession. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Meantime, concerns are being raised about the rate at which Canadians are spending rather than saving. The latest figures from Statistics Canada reveal Canadians' debt burden increased to an average of $1.79 for every dollar of disposable income in the fourth quarter of 2018. That's up slightly from $1.78. And a recent Bank of Montreal report also found a quarter of Canadians did not put away any savings in 2018. Well, one in 10 believe they will not be able to save anything this year. We've been in this perfect storm where the rates have been low and it's been fairly easy to access credit and get credit. So we've been accumulating, accumulating, accumulating debt. At one point in time, even if we've been maintaining our payments, we reach the point where we are at our limits. We don't qualify for more debt. And then what? Because for a lot of people, they're living on more than their income today. A major crackdown on unauthorized short-term rentals in Vancouver. The enforcement team announcing today it's actively investigating more than 800 units in the city. Sarah McDonald is live with more on this. And Sarah, those new regulations took effect in September, and it would appear that they're making a difference. Chris, that's right. And these numbers are pretty staggering. The city telling us today it has opened thousands of case files. It has already taken action on hundreds of properties that are suspected of operating as short-term rentals uh, in an unauthorized capacity. The city releasing new numbers this morning of that enforcement program that only took effect in September. Since its inception, the city says it has opened more than 2,000 case files and taken enforcement action on roughly 820 short-term rental properties operating without a business license. Now, get this. One commercial operator was found to have had 35 short-term rental listings at two properties. That operator already fined $20,000 with more penalties expected. Two other operators at least have already pled guilty and paid fines of $2,500. We are pleased with the early results of our approach to regulating short-term rentals in Vancouver. We will continue to identify and enforce against operators who knowingly evade our bylaws. And we thank the members of the public who continue to provide us with information about suspected illegal operators via our dedicated reporting channels. And for many of us, the first uh, word that comes to mind when we think of short-term rentals is Airbnb. And a company spokesperson for Airbnb tells us they actually have an agreement with the city to crack down on these sort of unauthorized rentals. They tell us they are actually the only platform, the only company that has one of those agreements. Now, as of last week, the city says there were some 4,700 listings for short-term rentals in the city, but just over 2,600 licenses. And that is where we are seeing that figure of 2,000 case files being open for investigation. And Chris, uh, any operator that gets busted uh, for operating a suite illegally uh, can face some pretty hefty fines of up to $1,000 sorry, $1, per day uh, if found guilty of operating illegally. Yeah, that can add up quickly. Okay, thanks very much, Sarah. 
Well, just yesterday, the province announced two health authorities will now directly manage the care of people who need home support. The new model promising to provide better, more reliable care. But for those awaiting long-term care, advocates say the prognosis is bleak. And as Nadia Stewart reports, they're calling on health authorities to review the system to better help those who need it most. It is a long-standing funding gap in seniors' care that isn't often discussed. One the BC Seniors Living Association is bringing to the forefront now with an aim to get it on the government's radar. We are faced with taking care of people who are needing 3.36 hours per day, but they're only receiving, on average, approximately 1.1 the BCSLA, who represents independent assisted living providers, says there is a gap in care for those seniors who are currently in assisted living homes waiting to get into higher care facilities. On average, funded assisted living beds receive 1.2 hours of direct care per resident per day. But once it's determined higher care is needed, the hours only increase slightly to two hours while they wait, leaving a big gap of 1.36 hours of care per senior per day. As families, you're concerned about their safety. You know, are they okay in their suites? And are they getting the, the watchful eye that they need at two hours of care that they could maybe get those safety checks more often at two and a half, 2.75, three, 3.6 hours of care. Interim CEO Allison Howard says assisted living facilities have made do for the most part. A tightness in dollars means health authorities haven't been able to allocate the resources to close the gap. I'm sure but BCSLA President Tanya Snow is calling on government to take a closer look at the problem. We need the ministry to look at the funding and how it's applied, uh, not only in one health authority but across all health authorities so that the assisted living programs are funded and applied in a similar way. Nadia Stork, Global News. Right now, a news hour follow-up to a controversy last year over the SPCA euthanizing a dog after a West Vancouver family had signed adoption papers. A former SPCA shelter volunteer is now speaking exclusively to Global News about two other young dogs put down at the same location. Global's Nagar Mojtahidi has that and the SPCA's response. There's nothing quite like the joy of Adoption Day. <laughs> but Echo, seen here, never made it home to the Azizi family. I don't see where a 10-month-old puppy who is adoptable at 2 in the afternoon is suddenly on death row at 11 o'clock the next morning. The collie was put down just five days after the adoption papers were signed. Before the ink was dry, Echo had nipped at his future owner in front of West Vancouver SBCA staff. While the Azizis insisted it wasn't a big deal, the decision was made. The dog had to die. He was put down at 10 months and two weeks old. Um, and I, I just find that unacceptable. Now the grieving family has hired an animal welfare lawyer, not to sue the SBCA, but to work with them towards a ban on euthanizing puppies with behavioral issues. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're dangerous or they're doing things that are, are wrong. They just need to be trained. Every year, around 2 to 3% of dogs at the BC SVCA are euthanized due to behavioral issues. Now, the organization says there is no need to overhaul euthanasia policies, saying that they don't take euthanasia decisions lightly or without expertise. We keep detailed records on our animals' interactions with staff and volunteers and the public in our shelters, and we review all of that information. Even better. 
Behind the final call to end a dog's life is a team that often includes animal behaviorists. Nobody is more upset when we have to make these decisions than the staff who care for these animals every day. That pain too much for Ali Razimir Said. The former volunteer quit the West Vancouver SVCA this month after two young dogs he cared for, Hunter and Chuck, were both put to sleep. I was really shocked, uh, especially because they were young dogs. Hunter was euthanized after mauling a cat. Chuck showed aggression towards other dogs. The former volunteer who wants to become a vet says they deserve special attention, not a death sentence. I felt like losing two good friends, actually. And while Echo never got the chance to prove he could thrive with the right family, the Azizis hope the SBCA can be trained to be more open-minded because the excitement of bringing home a new puppy should never end in heartbreak. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. A much happier pet story in the Okanagan, where a Kelowna family has been reunited with its stolen dog. Whoa! A joyful reunion with his family for Atlas, who was dognapped last week. The 18-month-old golden retriever was snatched from his backyard. And RCMP released surveillance video of the suspect's vehicle. A man later contacted the family asking for a $5,000 ransom to get him back. But RCMP tracked that man down. Police say they are still investigating. No word on any charges. The police called us. They said they had Atlas. Um, they opened up the, the back door and he just came running into my arms crying. It truly was a remarkable moment. I do have an, a very good idea who took my dog, who the lady was. Some B.C. hunters are speaking out tonight about our coverage of so-called contests in the B.C. interior where hunters get points for killing as many wolves, cougars and raccoons as they can. We reported on the growing outrage among environmentalists. But as Paul Johnson reports tonight, hunters say they've been left to deal with a problem created by others. A warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing. A few days ago, we told you about the controversy over a so-called wolf-whacking contest and a number of similar hunting contests in B.C. that offer prizes for killing wild animals that can be legally hunted. Hunters say it's necessary to reduce the number of predators like wolves. But environmentalists say it's a cruel way of managing predator populations. So to believe that this is an unbiased, uh, science-based predator removal program is just, uh, it's not true. No one running the hunting contests was willing to respond on camera. But Thursday, we heard from this BC hunter via YouTube who says the decline of caribou in the province is because of wolves and the opposition to hunting them. It's because of you making our government be terrified of, of taking on the task of fixing it. It's all because of you. This is turning into one of the most divisive issues in the province. Hunters don't understand how environmentalists from the city have any standing to lecture them about wildlife management. But environmentalists don't understand why anyone would want to kill a wild animal for anything but food. While a number of different animals are part of the hunting contests, much of the sensitivity involves wolves which the B.C. government tells us there is a big enough population of to support hunting. But also playing into the controversy is the media's coverage of the issue, 
with this hunter calling out global news in particular. You decide. Global BC News, shame on you. Shame on this dork right here who played his role in absolutely annihilating the caribou. Paul Johnson, Global News. Sean's a good reporter. He is. Not a dork. Not a dork. Not a dork. Investigators will soon have that critical black box data to help them solve the mystery of why an Ethiopian passenger jet crashed. Boeing 737 MAX aircraft are still grounded worldwide as a result. And Tom Costello reports on the critical clues investigators are looking at to come up with a cause. In Paris, investigators have now received the black boxes badly damaged from the Ethiopian airliner that crashed. Ethiopia chose France as a neutral third party since Boeing is an American company. The FAA says there are similarities with the Lion Air Max 8 crash in Indonesia last October. Satellite data shows that plane experienced erratic vertical speed readings after taking off, up and down for seven minutes, climbing at 1,500 feet per minute, then descending at 1,500 feet per minute. Data from the Ethiopian plane is similar, up and down, then up again, over a very volatile two minutes. The FAA also says it found new evidence in the Ethiopian wreckage. Investigators looking closely now at the position of the jack screw that moves the stabilizer on the tail which could indicate if the nose of the plane was being forced down, much like Lion Air. The flight recorder uh, and the cockpit voice recorder data is absolutely critical to understanding what happened in Ethiopia and if there is commonality with the Lion Air tragedy. Still, the FAA remains under fire for only grounding the plane after every other country in the world acted first. Did your close relationship with Boeing and with the airlines in any way lead you to delay the decision to ground these planes? Absolutely not. We're linked to them for safety. 100% we're linked to them for safety. And that's the conversations that I had with Boeing and with the carriers since Sunday. But other than that, there is no linkage. Meanwhile, at the crash scene, anguished families gathered again today to remember the 157 lives lost. The reputed head of one of America's most notorious crime families has been killed outside his New York home. Police in Staten Island say they found 53-year-old Francesco Cali last night suffering from several gunshot wounds. He was pronounced dead in hospital. Federal prosecutors had called Cali the, the current underboss of the Gambino crime family. Through the 80s and 90s, the Gambinos were one of the most powerful mob families in America under Cali's predecessor, the infamous John Gotti. The actor who's been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons entered his plea to criminal charges in a Chicago court today. We waive formal reading of the indictment and Mr. Smollett enters a plea of not guilty. Thank you. Empire star Jussie Smollett pleading not guilty to lying to police about being the victim of a racist and homophobic attack in downtown Chicago a few weeks ago. Police say Smollett was unhappy about his salary and wanted to drum up some publicity to help his career. Smollett denies staging the attack. The judge warned him that violating any of the conditions of his release pending trial could land him in jail. And he had some more advice for the actor. Take it from someone who's been doing this a long time. You don't want to go to the county jail. Each of the 16 charges against the actor is punishable by as little as probation and as much as three years behind bars. Smollett is due back in court next month. 
In Health Matters tonight, BC Cancer is working on the development of a new test that could make the treatment of breast cancer more effective. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the test would allow doctors to better monitor treatment to make sure it works and adjust quickly if it doesn't. Cancer treatments aren't one-size-fits-all. What works for one patient may not work for another. And so finding the most effective treatment can present challenges, like is a prescribed chemotherapy working? Or is the treatment no longer working before we start to see growth of the cancer on standard imaging like CT scans? The problem with tracking how well a tumor is responding to treatment with imaging alone is speed, or rather lack of it. Tumor cells can die very quickly um, with even one cycle or two cycles of treatment, one treatment or two, but it can take time for that to show on standard imaging. What's needed is faster technology, so precious time isn't wasted on non-effective treatments. That something is in the works at the BC Cancer Agency. It's called circulating tumor DNA, which is shed by the cancer. Parts of the DNA can be released into the blood, and we can actually capture and test for it. The goal? To develop a simple, real-time blood test that could determine, based on the presence or lack of these tumor fragments, if cancers are responding to treatment. Of course, that takes money. And so we are here today to announce that the Conconi Family Foundation um, is donating $1.2 million to support the study. The foundation decided to make the gift after its executive director was diagnosed with breast cancer three years ago. Well, I, I feel um, excited. Uh, I really feel excited about this work and the potential and uh, I can't wait to see you know, what it evolves to, to be. This could be transformative. I'm hopeful within um, potentially the next five years will change how we do our business in the future. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A new poll out today shows a certain unease about the idea of self-driving cars. The AAA survey found that almost three-quarters of Americans would be afraid to ride in a fully autonomous vehicle. Despite that, proponents of driverless trucks, as in semi-trailers, insist their technology will make the roads safer. It's 2019, and the truck driver of the future is a female robot. She can talk. Rumbling down the road at 65 miles an hour, you'd never know it. But a computer's actually in the driver's seat. This technology, created by a company called Too Simple, relies on a minimum of nine cameras, five radars, and two laser radars to read the road. And look, there is a safety driver, safety engineer in here with us, but you can see no one's touching the wheel, no one's touching the brakes. So how does Too Simple work? We're tracking objects 360 degrees around the vehicle out to over a half mile in front of the vehicle. Currently, the autonomous trucking industry has no federal regulation. It's a state-by-state -state issue. We're in Arizona where this program is being piloted. Now watch as the truck gets to work attempting a complex merge onto the highway. All right, moment of truth. Yep, can we make this turn? The cameras and sensors all warning about construction on the shoulder. I'm a little nervous. Within seconds. Wow. And we're on the highway. We're on the highway. Wow. And no one touched the wheel. No one has touched the wheel yet. The company's saying it's making the roads a lot safer for everyone. This truck doesn't text. <laughs> this truck doesn't fall asleep. This truck is never distracted. Too simple, already operating five autonomous trucks. But they're not alone. 
the industry is already getting crowded. Tesla, Waymo, and possibly even Amazon all taking the new tech out for a spin. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Tucson, Arizona. No truck driver, human or otherwise, could have prevented this catastrophe. The power of the bomb cyclone right after the forecast. That is amazing. Okay, let's bring in Christy now for a look at the weather as we head into, uh, well, we get closer to the weekend anyway, Christy. Closer to the weekend, closer to spring break, closer to spring. Lots yeah. of things to look forward to. Thanks, Chris. And so uh, looking outside, it is pretty gray out there, but uh, we have a, just a small band of moisture pushing across the region. And then I think you can throw away the umbrella for a little while anyways, not completely. Uh, but this is really the main band that we'll see. Otherwise, it will be mostly dry. There's a chance of rain decreasing by midnight and staying quite low right through our Friday and our Saturday also. Even though on Saturday we will see a small band, which I'll show you in a second. These are your temperatures over the next several days. Uh, come Monday and Tuesday, those are the days that we'll watch for potentially record-breaking temperatures. But the key here is we're talking about low 20s for areas away from the water. Sensational conditions. Excited for the kids out there. But there is a concern that comes with it, especially for those of you in the interior, which will also feel that elevated temperature uh, in areas like Kelowna, still 18 centimeters of snow on the ground. A cusp, that's at a higher elevation at about 500. Uh, but I have 58 centimeters of, of snow. So at lower elevations where we see that heat, uh, we certainly could see some localized flooding. So I'll just give you this uh, little note here. It's a little excessive for probably this stretch of weather warmth that we'll see. But just to note that at 30 centimeters of water, a, a vehicle can actually float. That's only one foot of water. So just bear that in mind as we head into this prolonged heat that we're going to see and as we head into the spring also. This is the band that I was mentioning that is going to affect us on Saturday. Most of the moisture, though, will fall on the outer coast of Vancouver Island, and we will see some cloud. We have a slight chance of showers, and that's about it. So southern region sunshine for our area. We'll see some cloud in the morning, sunshine by the afternoon. More cloud returns on Saturday, but then St. Patrick's Day, we clear out, and we've got lots of sunshine right into spring. And I'll leave you with a really neat shot from Haida Gwaii, this little guy peeking out in the tidal zone there. Great wow. shot. Having a snack maybe in there somehow. Yes, I think so. Photo bombing. Thanks, Christy. Well, parts of the U.S. still cleaning up from yesterday's bomb cyclone that crashed through the West and Midwest. And one truck driver in Texas was lucky to walk away from his brush with the extreme weather. Take a look. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Powerful wind gust lifts the trailer off the road, takes the cab along with it, the entire rig sliding right off the side of the road. Luckily, no serious injuries reported from the storm. That driver, very lucky. Oh that, it must have been empty, right? I think. Do, oh, that's a good maybe point. Not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe light? It's possible. Or just light. That reminds me of Terminator 2. <laughs> yes, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, movie yeah. Scene. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> All right, Squire's back with sports, and uh, recently someone skated a long way to introduce himself to one of the Canucks' uh, good young players. <laughs> he came all the way from Burnaby, it looked like. <laughs> uh, during last night's win by the Canucks over the Rangers, New York's Chris Kreider was tossed out after elbowing Elias Pettersson in the face. Pettersson was determined not to have a concussion, just a sore nose. Today, the NHL fined Kreider $5,000. Doesn't sound like a lot, but... It is the maximum allowable fine, if that makes you feel any better. 
Uh, here it is. He misses hitting Pedersen and then throws his right arm right in his face. And those elbow pads are hard. There it is. He comes a long way to hit him and then catches him right in the nose with the elbow. Five minutes and a game. That was a good call. 5,000 only. Fine. I know it's a maximum allowable. I don't know. Jim Benny was worried there because everybody thought not another concussion. No. No concussion, apparently. Um, the Canucks, though, did lose Antoine Roussel to a knee injury. He's out the rest of the year. He basically fell on his knee the wrong way after being hit by Brendan Lemieux, who also got kicked out of this game, but that was a mistake. This was not a dirty hit at all. Roussel has been good for the Canucks. He was a very smart signing in the free agency period last year. And that ankle injury, Quinn Hughes said, was not all that bad. Apparently is pretty bad. It's a deep bone bruise, and he'll be in a walking boot for at least a week before he can think about putting on skates again. So now there's a chance, it's a chance at this point, that he won't play at all this season for the Canucks because when you think about it, no point in risking him if he is not 100%. So this offseason should be rather eventful for the Canucks, not just the draft, which is at Rogers Arena, not just the free agency period after July 1st, but who do they re-sign? Because they have a number of restricted free agents, players they control to the point where they could match any other team's offer, or they could choose to let that player go altogether. Here's a lead feed. Mott is Jones. Tyler Mott is one of eight restricted free agents on the Canucks' current roster, and he's likely a player Vancouver would like to re-sign. He's 24, a hard worker who has produced nine goals in a fourth-line role, and he won't cost much more than the 925000 he currently makes. The biggest name RFA is Brock Besser, who will be looking for something in the $6 million per year range on a new deal. Besser's the one RFA on the Canucks who other teams could try to lure with a big contract offer, but it's hard to believe Vancouver wouldn't match anything to keep their purest goal scorer in town. Josh Levo also figures to be someone the Canucks want to bring back. He's just 25 and has shown he can play top six minutes and produce. This is really his first full NHL season, so his potential to be a 20-goal man would be something the Canucks want to explore. What's not so certain is where the Canucks want to go with Nikolai Goldobin. He's got talent, but the Russian's been in and out of Travis Green's doghouse for inconsistent play. He has played with the top players most of the year, but still has just seven goals, although his 27 points are fifth most on the team. Goldobin may be the one player who has to convince the Canucks he's worth keeping over these final three weeks. The last of the forward RFAs is Marcus Granlund. After scoring 19 goals two years ago, Granlund's production and effectiveness has gone down. He is likely gone as the Canucks look to give other prospects a chance to crack the lineup. On defense, Ben Hutton has turned his career around after being challenged by the coach to get better at the end of last season. He's been one of the Canucks' best defensemen this year and at 25 seems ready to keep improving his game. The same can't be said for Derek Pouliot, who's struggled most of this season. He's been the healthy scratch of late, and with Ole Ulevi poised to be in the NHL next season, Pouliot seems on his way out. Goalie Thatcher Demko is also an RFA, but the Canucks will definitely re-sign their goalie of the future. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. 
And congratulations to Vancouver's Christian Covington. He has moved his NFL career about four hours north from Houston to Dallas, signed a one-year, $2.5 million free agent deal with the Cowboys, spent four years playing defensive line with the Texans. If he can avoid some injury problems he's had in past years, he could have a decent season with the Cowboys, who might use him a lot more than Houston did. There is one of the fam most famous par threes in golf, the 17th at the Players' Championship, and this is Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. Putting down this the is slope, for Eagle. He'd make left. it, but he still ended up one over today. Adam Hadwin not feeling well. He played four over par. Tiger was out there, splashed one today, but also makes this. He is minus two after 18 holes. One of the leaders, who is it? It's Tommy Fleetwood, Mac. See what I just did there? <laughs> that 70s reference. Okay, Tommy Fleetwood at minus seven with Keegan Bradley, both at minus seven. They share the lead. Hole in one on the 17th. Back to number 17. This is Ryan Moore, and this is a slam dunk. Off the flag. Watch. It's in. Now, this could have gone anywhere because it hit the flag, as you can see on the replay here, and goes straight in the cup. This could have ricocheted back in the water. But it goes straight down. At least a foot or so up the flag. Someone's living the good life. He's at five under par. Uh, at the uh, tennis tournament down in Indian Wells, we couldn't get highlights. We had a little bit of a computer issue today, as we yeah. all know. Uh, Bianca Andreescu and Milos Ronic, both in the semifinals. Both Canadians. There you go. Here's your snow report for tonight. Not a lot of new snow in the last little while, but boy, temperatures sure are warming up. It'll be like spring skiing over the next little while. Two centimeters of fresh snow on Cypress Mountain, Revelstoke one centimeter, Fernie five. Into the interior regions should be a great weekend for skiing, especially into early next week with sensational soaring temperatures. Kicking horse, no new snow. Mount Washington did pick up a light dusting with one centimeter. Well, it's the kind of story that would have almost anyone asking, what would I do? Well, for Mission's Tanya Krishun, there was no doubt and no question. As Paul Johnson reports, she risked her safety and her nose to come to the rescue of a skunk. For a wild animal, this is what certain death might look like. I heard plastic dragging across the ground. I just sprung into action. Equipped with plastic bags and a nose for doing what's right. This wild animal wasn't going to die on Tanya Krishun's watch. It's okay. It's okay. Did we mention it was a skunk? That didn't matter. It still had a cup stuck on its head. Every time I jumped back, I just kept saying, you have to do this. You have to do this. The dramatic rescue effort on this mission street all caught on video. After a brief struggle, the skunk was free. Did you get it? Yeah. <gasps> I was worried he wouldn't be able to breathe or he wouldn't be able to eat, because like I said, I was struggling getting that cup off. Looks like a skunk to me. We showed other people the video. Please don't bring me down. And asked what they would have done. She's either brave or not quite informed of uh, what skunks can do. I wouldn't want to get sprayed. I would do it right now because it would be dead if you didn't. Stripes or not, Krishun says it had to be saved. Whether it's a skunk or a cat or a dog, I think all animals deserve a fighting chance. She's using the attention the video is getting to highlight the root of the problem. Litter tossed by the roadside 
turned into death traps for wildlife. I mean, animals shouldn't have to suffer because of our poor decisions. He wouldn't even spray me. After not making a stink while being saved. Can you kiss a pretty girl, baby boy, baby boy? Tanya Krishun had to give this skunk a familiar name. Pepe Le Pew II. And their message is carefully toss your garbage away so Pepe can live another day. John Hua, Global News. Did you get it? Yeah. Good reason, actually. I love that. Okay, that was John Hua, not Paul Johnson. Yeah. Exactly. But Sorry, what you me. said makes sense. What up with people throwing garbage out the window? I don't understand. I don't get that if they're a car. I don't understand. Yeah. Look what can happen. That's right. There are garbage cans around the city, like, mm -hmm. everywhere. Just keep it, keep it in your car. Yeah. Take it home. Yeah, where is your shame when you're winging <laughs> stuff not. out the window going no, down yeah. the Clearly road? Clearly not. Yeah. Anyway. No shame. I'm glad that uh, Pepe Le Pew II is okay. Yeah. That's right. The, uh, the forecast certainly doesn't stink if you're uh, into sunshine. <laughs> Good one. No, that's for sure. Uh, so we will see some cloud tomorrow, sunshine by the afternoon, but then Sunday is what you have to look forward to, Monday and Tuesday too. St. Patrick's Day, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, green beer. Have a good Thanks day. for watching.